Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night. This one is for one of my favorite shows out there right now. And I feel like it's difficult to say this, but also easy because I love all of you guys so much. But Young Misty is one of my favorite elements of the show. And I get to talk to Samantha Hanratty right now. The whole ensemble, though, is exceptional. I still can't get over how good you all are in this. It's crazy. I feel so honored to be with this incredible cast. Like, everyone's so talented. We we will get into the ensemble of it all. I promise you that. So you have not been warned. The first thing we do on Collider Ladies Night is we play a game t- called Dicey Questions. Usually it involves a dice tower. The dice tower did not travel to Austin with me. So I will have you pick three numbers and then those numbers will correspond to a question. And that is where we begin. So what is your first number? Is it between one and 10? Oh my or? God. Did I not even say the amount of numbers? I need my dice tower. It's one through eight. <laughs> one through eight. Okay. Amazing. I'm going to go for four. Okay. Number number four has become one of my favorite questions. There is a zombie outbreak on the set of Yellow Jackets. You could pick two co-stars to team up with. Who do you pick that'll give you the best chance of surviving? Kevin. And uh, Courtney, because she's tall. She's so tall. (laughs) She can help me get to the places I need to go. (laughs) Wow. That's a really smart answer. And why Kevin? Kevin, just because he's strong and he's also one of my best friends. And I feel like, I feel like maybe I'm wrong on this, but I feel like if he knew it would help me, he'd be like, go Sam save yourself. And I'd be like, no. Okay. Bye. (laughs) So I feel like it would up my chances. Okay. I'm going to add to this, this picture we've painted here. So you're in your, your survival group. What is your greatest asset that you bring to the group that gives you all the chance of surviving, but then also what is your greatest weakness that will do all three of you in? Oh my God. Okay. The biggest, so my biggest asset that I help that I contribute to surviving. Yes. Um, 
Um, I've watched a lot of Survivor, um, and I feel like I feel like I'd be good at like like scavenging for like little bits of food. Um, and I feel like I would be very, you know, like um, I'm I'm hyper aware of the things around me. I'm super ADHD, but it helps me with focusing on all the little things that are happening around us. So okay. I, I like that. That's your asset. But now I, I want the other half. I want your greatest weakness. Oh my God. Everything else. <laughs> everything, I'm allergic to everything. Um, I no, literally like, I'm like just one little like bee sting and I'm out. Like, it's just like, I'll brush up against like a, you know, a tree and, and I'll just be in swells, swells. <laughs> That's a very reasonable one. I feel like that's one of those things that a lot of us probably have that we don't consider when trying to figure out a survival situation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your second number? My second number is one. All right. So number one is TV guest spot. If you could guest star on the TV show of your choice, what show would you pick and why? Oh my God. There's so many good ones. I mean, right now. Okay. So Ooh, it depends. It depends on like the mood I'm in, but like, if we're in a happy mood, we're going to go for Ted Lasso, but the last of us, I mean, I got to go for it. Speaking of zombies. <laughs> I've asked that question to a number of people recently and a lot of them are picking the last of us and I don't blame them. You know, as an actor too, they give really good guest spots. Like I want a whole episode revolving around me and my lover, you know, <laughs> Melanie absolutely crushes, crushes her role on that show. Yeah. Didn't surprise me one bit, but holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. All right. You got one more pick in dicey questions. What is your last number? Um, I'll go for eight. All right. So I like this one too. This one is more acting specific. It's called high low. Can you give me one audition high, but then also one audition low you experienced and tell me what you learned from that low that you could apply to future auditions? Okay. Um, an audition high was when I was younger, I auditioned for this film and the producer came out and like grabbed me and was like, you were so good and we love you for the role. But like, we just feel like you're a bit too young because my character um, was supposed to have a crush on Cuba Gooding Jr., and um, they were like, you know, we don't know how that's going to look. And I looked at him because I was just such a little brave little gal. And I looked at him and I was like, okay, but have you seen the movie My Girl? I was like, she's got a crush on the teacher and it's innocent. And I'm like, I don't know, 10 or 11 saying this. And um, I booked the part. I like talked myself into the role. And um, so we did a film together called Hero Wanted. Um, and uh yeah. And I got to do that with Ray Liotta as well. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really fun time. Um, and then audition low, I've had quite a few lows in my career, but one of the lows was, um, I was auditioning for a very popular kids film. I won't say what it was. Um, and I went in and auditioned and the casting director yelled at me. He screamed at me. He cursed at me. Um, he was like, I can't believe that I'm such a bad effing casting director that we can't hire somebody who's good because all the girls we keep calling in suck. And, um, yeah, I never, after that, I don't think I've gone in front of him again because I left that audition being like, I never want to see that person again. And so, yeah. I like, I don't, I don't even know how to respond to something like that. <laughs> that absolutely enrages me. My coping mechanisms is just to smile through it. But yeah, I was, I think at that point, I think I was like 12 years old. So yeah. Oh, that is so incredibly wrong. I will never unhear that. You could, yeah. you could smile through it, but then do exactly what you did and never, 
never audition in front of that casting director ever again. Yeah. I lost some probably big stuff because of it, but I'm like, I'd rather just not because that's not the kind of people I want to work with. So that casting director doesn't deserve you. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the meat of it now. Every Collateral Ladies Night conversation begins here. What was the movie, the performance, or personal experience, whatever it may be, that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor? Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Uh two ones, like two or three stick out to me, but um definitely growing up watching Shirley Temple. I loved Shirley Temple. I would dress up like her. Um yeah, just adored, adored Shirley Temple. And then um, the movie Moulin Rouge was one of the biggest ones. I was way too young to be watching that movie. Um, but uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film, go watch it. But Nicole Kidman at the end of the film passes away. And I was convinced for weeks that she actually did. And it was so hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that it was a performance and um, my mom was like trying to show me like tabloids that she was in like, look, she's alive, she's alive. And I just was like, no, like the sparkling diamond, she's gone. And um, yeah, it was a film that I believed. And even when I still watch it today, I just, I believe it every time I watch it. And <sighs> yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. I have a tattoo for it, come what may. Do you really? Um, oh, yeah. it makes me so happy you have a movie tattoo. Oh, of course I do. <laughs> I love I love how your movie tattoo is come what may and my movie dialogue tattoo is hold on to your butts. Oh, love it. Love it. <laughs> it's like two polar opposites, but reflects our, our love of our favorite movies. So you are super young. You decide you want to become a professional actor at that time. What did you think was step one to actually building a career as an actor? And now having done it, would you actually give that piece of advice to someone else who's first starting out? I mean, I was two when I told my mom that I wanted to be on stage and TV. Um, and she was like, I didn't even know you had, knew how to talk. Like, what are you doing in here? You know, like, she's like, go watch Barney. Um, and so I think for me, it was just look, it looked like playing pretend and having fun. And um, I still think it's playing pretend and having fun um, for the majority of it. I think that a big part of me, the big shift happened when I was probably like 50. 16 because I didn't work for like two years um and I just I auditioned a bunch and just didn't work and it was the first time that I really had to work hard for this career like I think that for so long I was really lucky and I had kind of like this natural talent that I just relied on um but I never really took it super seriously and then it was kind of you know I was at a point in my life where it was like is this really what I want to do do I want to go to regular school and you know go to college and like do that path or do I want to like give it my all and like really go hard and, you know, take acting classes and work on the craft. And I chose the craft side of things and, um, and it just fueled my love for this industry. And I think now I just know how much hard work goes into it, but it just, it pays off so much more when you get those few yeses that you're really looking for, um, when you've had a little bit more to struggle with. <laughs> When you were in that that period of time where you weren't booking anything, do you remember a specific thing that kind of gave you the confidence that pursuing this was the right move, whether it was something you experienced in one of those classes, someone who had your back and said the right thing, anything like that? Yeah, I think, you know, there was there was a class that I did. I did like an intensive with Deb Aquila and um, and I was uh, I did this play. I did um, a play called How I Learned to Drive, and um, it was 
probably some of the best work I've ever done. Um, and I didn't perform it for anybody other than people that were also in the class. But like, I just remember leaving that being like, I am so much better now just from doing that. And I think that there was so much that I learned and there's so much that I, I hold so dear to me and, and learning just the importance of telling people stories and the importance of justifying why your character does what they do. And I think that's a big contributor to why I play such quote unquote crazy characters is because I have to like them. I have to find out why they do what they do. And it makes me, it makes me like them. It makes me understand them and it makes um, their decisions easier to make for me, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. I'm ruining my roadmap with this follow-up, but just recently I covered a movie that had a writer's block component. So came up with like an actor's block question. So given what you just said there, whether yeah. it's, whether it's with Misty or any character you've played, have you ever experienced like actors writer's block with a scene where you just, you couldn't access the character's headspace or justify a decision they made. And then how did you overcome that and bring it to screen in a way that felt true to you? I was a little nervous um, with, when Misty goes in season one to touch Ben Scott's little private area, um, I was nervous about that at first, just because, you know, I really had to go from the curiosity aspect of it than being a predator. Um, and thankfully it didn't go further than, you know, than what the writers had written, which I, I appreciate a lot. Um, but I was nervous because I found out about it before I had read it. So I didn't know how far it went. So I was just really worried that, you know, there's a fine line there for her. Um, everybody should just always consent is important. We all know that, but you know, it's very, very important. And it's something that I believe for everyone. Um, and, um, I think that that was something I was a little bit worried about, but I, I feel, um, I feel that, you know, it was played in a way that made me feel a little bit okay about it. It was more of just a full on, like, she's never seen this. What is this kind of thing? Um, and thankfully things were stopped before they got too far. Um, but, uh, I still feel for, for Ben in that scene, um, uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, there's been times that I've, I've, argued uh, on set with um I and that doesn't happen all the time but I have argued before um and I did this indie film and uh the director wanted me to take off my jacket and my character had just been kidnapped and um I was like the last thing she would do is take off her jacket <laughs> like if you got kidnapped you'd want to hold on to literally anything that keeps you feeling safe and he was like but it looks better with you having it off and I was like, oh my God, that has nothing to do with the character. And so like, I, you know, I, I usually don't argue back, but I was like, you hired me because I care about this character because I'm a protector of this character. And I can't say that I'm protecting her if I'm not able to like do what she would do. And I'm like, if you want to write it in to where somebody takes the jacket from her, that's fine. But I can't see her doing that. And he was like, it's my movie and you're going to do it. And so I did what I had to do. And that was definitely a not the most fun. <laughs> I'm I'm impressed that you stood up for yourself. I think it's important and it's not arguing, it's collaboration. And that's literally the whole point that people make successful TV shows and movies. It's not on one person's shoulder. It's never going to be as strong if it's one person's vision. It's like you are all like at the peak of your, your game and you're collaborating together and that elevates everybody's work. Thank in you. In my opinion, I, at least. 
No, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So going going back now to some of your very earliest TV experiences, because you had a whole bunch of, you know, guest starring one episode appearances on, on a bunch of like really popular shows. I, I think I read Charm, Drake and Josh, CSI, which feels like a rite of passage. Of all of those earliest opportunities, which one would you say, I, I guess, made the biggest impression on you in terms of figuring out the types of stories you want to tell and the types of onset experiences you wanted to have moving forward? Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's a really good question. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's so interesting because I have had so many like little like one, you know, one pieces. I think every job I do, I, I grab a lot that I can from it. But I think it was more recently, I guess it was, you know, time was flying by so fast. So I guess it wasn't that recent, but um, I think how to get away with murder was a big one because it was just such an intense role. It was somebody who was once again, you know, you can call her crazy. Um, and uh, and just working beside Viola Davis for, you know, the week that I was on set, I was just like, this is, I'm around the people I aspire to, to, you know, one day have a fraction of their, you know, talent and drive. And, um, yeah, it was just the whole experience was inspiring on its own. Um, especially there was a moment where I was supposed to be crying and, um, and there were people that were talking during the scene. I think there was just like some crew that, that didn't know we were filming that were talking. And it was just so nice because I'm really bad at advocating for myself. So Viola was like, hold on. She was like, hold on, hon. Like, and she was like, we need silence. Like she needs to be respected. And like, she didn't do it in any way that came off mean. It was fully just like, we need to respect each other and be here for each other. And I just was like, oh my God, like Viola Davis has my best. Um, and it just felt really, it felt really good and really cool. And, um, yeah, I think that the reason like she did that. And now I feel like I advocate for other actors that I work with all the time, um, because she like basically showed me that that's the right thing to do. And I appreciate that tremendously. That is such a good answer to that question and just like reinforces the fact that like, yes, she is a performer in this industry and a leader that I should be admiring as much as I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you had a whole bunch of, you know, single episode appearances. And I know you were really young when you were doing a lot of those early ones, but did you ever get into kind of that phase where you're like, I'm I'm ready to book a more substantial role in a TV show, but I keep getting these one episode parts. And, and how did you, I guess, still make the most of those parts, but also figure out how to forge forward to get yourself those, those I hate saying bigger or smaller roles, but you know what I mean, those larger opportunities on series. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I feel like honestly, since leading up to yellow jackets, I feel like I've been doing that. You know, I've, I've been very lucky in my career in the sense that I've had a lot of really amazing reoccurring roles. Um, but it's like, you get a recurring role and then sometimes it slows down and then you, you know, go back to like, okay, I'll do a guest star. And then, you know, you're, and you're just hoping to get that next big thing. Um, but I think that it was really funny when I was younger, um, I went into an audition for a show called The Unit and um, the casting came out and they saw my sister sitting there and they were like, oh yeah, you've got a sister and we're looking for an older sister role for, so they ended up hiring both me and my sister for this. And my sister, Danielle was like, you know, she had just, you know, once we got the show was like, I don't want to act anymore. Um, and the show got picked up. So my mom was like, I mean, we can tell them that they have to recast or 
you could fly in when they need you because she was going to school in Arizona. She's like, you know, you can fly in when they need you, use the money for college and whatever you want. Um, and you know, it's reoccurring. It's kind of whenever you want to do it, you know? And, um, so that's what my sister decided to do. And of course, here I am being like, I want to act. I want to be on it. You know, they gave me these like in the background little, like I would like play jump rope in the background. Meanwhile, my sister like walks in on our parents, like our mom cheating on our dad and like cuts all her hair off and accidentally cuts her neck and like has all these like meaning meaty roles. And meanwhile, I'm playing hopscotch in the background. And I was just like, oh, when will it be my turn? Like she doesn't even want to be here. And you know, it, yeah. So um, I definitely think that was one of those, like, I just, I want to do something great and I want to do something amazing. And um, I've also been really fortunate though, to do some guest stars that I'm like, oh, I want to keep going on this show. And then they ended up making it a reoccurring role. Like I was only supposed to be on Salem for one episode and that ended up being like a two season reoccurring role. That was really amazing. Same thing with Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. I was supposed to be in one episode and um, I remember I would go say hi to the writers every time I was on the lot and they were like, just so you know, Holly's coming back. And I was like, <gasps> you know, freaking out. And so, um, yeah, yeah, there's, I feel like every, like you said, there's no small, small parts. It's like everything always has a domino effect too, whether it's, you know, you just made a really good friend or you made a really awesome friend that can help get you to the next one, or you can help that person. And there's just so much give and take in this industry. And I think if you go about it as a giver, you end up receiving, you know, more. And that's never, obviously the plan is to get more, but you know, good comes when you give good, oh, if that makes sense. I am a big believer in that. And I wish everybody in this industry would embrace that mentality. Your extreme good came in the form of Yellow Jackets, which is just like such an incredibly special show. <laughs> Going back to the, the very beginning of that process, I had read that you were originally asked to audition for Natalie. And just because that made me, made me curious, how did your take on that character differ from what Sophie wound up delivering in the final version of the show? I mean, there is no other Sophie Thatcher. She like is breathes like this character and um, she's incredible. So, I mean, I can't even touch what she's got going on. Um, but yeah, I definitely think I had I'm being totally honest. I think I misread it because I think I kind of went for more of like a goth approach um, than I did this like cool, like grungy 90s girl. Like I feel like I just went in with like a black zip up hoodie and I like put, had it over with like dark, you know, eye makeup and was kind of just like, you know, like more of like this, like, I don't care attitude that like had just like this, like almost forced darkness um, that just I'm not, I'm not Natalie and that's totally fine. And she's amazing. And I, yeah, it's, it's so weird when you like audition for a, a different character and like, and then you see like how somebody else does it. And you're like, yes. Cause there's other times where you see it and you're like, really? That's what they went with, you know, but this was definitely a win for, for our show having Sophie Thatcher. <laughs> a, win, a win for both of you. I seriously can't imagine a better caring for Misty than you and Christina Ricci. But before I even get to working with Christina and all that. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What was yeah. it like when you did hear back and, and they said to you, how, how about Misty instead? Had you ever considered, you know, your connectivity to that role or did that come completely out of the blue? I'm being totally honest. I was like, who? (laughs) She's such a small role that like, I feel like I even overlooked her the first time I read the script, you know, which is so interesting because there's that, like that last beat. That's such like a iconic moment. Um, but I totally, I think I was focused on Natalie. So when I was reading, I was so focused in on that, that I was like, who is that? And then I had to like reread things and kind of go through it. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. And I, I mean, I could be totally wrong and I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm like, I don't even know if, you know, our writers knew what they were looking for with Misty. Like, I don't really know if anybody had like a clear vision of what this character was going to like fully look like and bring. And, you know, like, I think they, they had an idea, but I think I came in and was kind of like wrecking that idea a little bit. Um, because I mean, I came and auditioned like five times. Like, it was not like a, I came in and they were like, that's Misty. You know, I think I just, I brought this like chaotic, crazy energy that they were like, okay, what are we going to do with this girl? <laughs> you know, oh, that makes um, so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. It goes, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about a, a lot of Misty's decisions. Like, I don't know, having, having like a very delicate balance or like working with a really fine line. And it's, it's the type of character that keeps you on your toes. Cause you almost like, she's got a firm foundation, but you almost never know what she's going to do in any given moment. Right. I, and I don't either as an actor, I'm reading scripts, like being like, what is she going to do next? Like, Oh God. <laughs> oh, I'm so curious now to know with some of your answers to my more specific questions, but before I get there more, more broadly. So <laughs> little happy. Hands. You tell me something and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, I have a lot of very specific things I want to ask yeah. you about. Um, so at this point, we've seen like a little bit of Misty's past pre plane crash, but whether it's something that's canon in the show or not, are there any backstory details that you've come up with on your own that we might not see or hear about in the actual show, but we could feel informing your performance and justifying her decisions? Totally. Yeah, I was all about the background work of like, like I said, like who she is, why she does what she does. Um, what was her childhood like? What were her parents like, you know, all that. Um, and so I talked about it with the writers when we first started and I basically was like, you know, we kind of, I feel like nothing was ever confirmed nor denied, but there was kind of this generalization of Misty's parents are probably in the medical field, one or both. That's probably why she's, she's probably alone quite a bit. Um, and that's also why she knows so much about the human body and probably why she has this kind of interest in, um, a lot of the medical side of things. And, um, I, you know, I have this whole vision of young Misty, like kind of like looking through books and finding just like these 
books with very graphic images and her being like, wow, you know what I mean? Like finding just such a fascination with it. Um, whereas most kids would go, you know, she's just like, okay, cool. You know? And, um, and yeah. And I think that there's, there's scenes that I have in my head that like never are going to happen in the show, but like, I have this one, one like snippet of just an idea of her like barely like starting to go through puberty being in the locker room and just like staring at everybody else and her like just looking in a way that you're not supposed to look and be like and not even acknowledging that it's inappropriate and like just having those moments of like how she must make other people feel helps me get into the mind frame of like when she does realize that somebody is grossed out by her how self-conscious that can feel and how vulnerable that can feel and and not wanting to make people feel uncomfortable but just her presence does and just there's just little things like that and I I you know have this idea of of just um you know seeing some of the girls use like a lip gloss and in my head like I have this whole like um you know childhood thing of her like saving up to buy that lip gloss and going and, you know, and having that lip gloss and everybody's not looking and she's like putting it on and like, you know, like, like feeling like, oh my gosh, like I'm pretty like them. And you know what I mean? And just these little moments that help me understand her a little bit, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely does. Many follow-ups to that. Something you were just saying reminded me of something that I was talking to Christina about last season. We were talking about where Misty draws the line between right and wrong. And now I'm curious to see how your answer differs from hers. But when when you are playing your scenes in season one, how, how does she process right versus wrong? And does she know that there's a divide between the two? Or, or is all of that just so warped for her that it's not even on the table to consider? Um, I think that it takes a lot for her to fully understand. Um, and it's usually off of other people's facial expressions that I find that like, I make the decision as Misty to be like, oh, I'm not going to, you know, do that. Um, or, or I shouldn't say that. And that's a, a similarity that me and Misty have in real life is, you know, I'm a very anxious person. I try to laugh through a lot of stuff to, you know, make things a little easier in life. And, you know, I'm really awkward. Um, and so when something doesn't land or, or somebody just doesn't like me, it's easy for me to kind of like laugh and then look at somebody's face and be like, okay, oops, I shouldn't have, you know, I'm that, that they don't want to talk to me right now, you know? And, um, I think I've used quite a bit of like my own anxiety with that and to Misty. Um, and I think that she, at least in her teenage years, cares a lot more about what people have to, to think about her. Um, and, uh, and she really, really cares about what the yellow jackets think of her, you know? Um, and so, yeah, but it's interesting. Cause like when, it comes to Ben, like, I feel like he could literally be rolling her, his eyes at her in season one. And she's like, oh my God, he's so in love. He's rolling his eyes, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's definitely a delusion there. <laughs> okay. Here, here's a Ben question for you. I think this was season one, episode five. After Misty poisons Ben and he lies to her about having feelings for her, let's say he hadn't he hadn't done that. He hadn't lied and had been honest in the moment. What do you think she would have done next? Do you think she would have gone too far and ultimately poisoned him to the point of killing him? That's such a good question. I think I think that Ben being gay 
probably saved his life from Misty. That's what I think. Um, I think that it depends on also where she's at in the moment. Like, you know, like I think that she, if she's already like really enraged and then somebody says something that might, you know, do something, then I think there's, she's capable of things differently than when she's more calm. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly can't tell you in the moment, in the moment of filming the scene, I think I'm keeping it as fragile as, you know, like if things go south, like, like nobody is going to embarrass me. You know what I mean? And then when things don't go south, I'm like, Oh, like, I love you too. (laughs) You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but it makes too much sense for Misty specifically and what we know about how she typically operates. I can't wait to get to a very specific moment in uh, in season two now, but before I jump too far ahead. So you film Yellow Jacket season one without getting to watch all of Christina's performance. I assume you did watch the show before filming season two. So were there any opportunities where you felt inspired, like even though she's not obviously supposed to know what older Misty does, is there anything you saw Christina do with the character that you felt inspired by and wanted to kind of like retroactively plant the seeds for in season two? Yeah, I think, well, I think the, um, the table reads help a lot with knowing kind of what's going on. Um, and I think there are a lot of mirroring, mirroring um, scenarios in this season. Um, you know, teen Misty gets a bestie. Adult Misty gets whatever Walter is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, there's two, there's, there's a relationship happening in one timeline and another relationship happening in another timeline. Um, and I think that her, um, there's certain things that, yeah, just like mirror each other, um, script wise. And even just like, you know, there was a couple of scenes in the beginnings of, um, season two where Misty's like talking to herself and I was like, Ooh, okay. So maybe there'll be a couple moments where, um, you know, I'm talking to myself or, you know, or mumbling or whatever, even if it's in the background, it can be like a little bit of like a, you know, walking, I could literally be walking in the background and being like, well, nobody cares about me right now. So that's great. Or, you know what I mean? Something, um, to just kind of tie the two together. Um, but somehow somewhere season one turned out so fantastic with us doing it. So, um, similar that I'm like, I don't want to press too hard because it just came naturally. And I think sometimes when it's overdone or pushed too much, it, it becomes, um, very noticeable, you know? So I think, I think we're, I think there's good little things that, that tie it together. Um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely not like a too, too forced. Given how well it works in season one, a very smart approach to keep it that way. Now you brought up Misty's bestie, and this is another what if type question, but how do you think she would be doing if she hadn't formed that relationship with Crystal? Would it have been a situation where the other girls like pushing her away and not trusting her ultimately would have made her snap if she didn't have her? I mean, honestly, if she wouldn't have Crystal and the way things have been going with Mari, I feel like Mari would not be here anymore. (laughs) Uh, If I'm being totally honest, I think she would have snapped. And 
either Misty would have died because she would have snapped and everyone would have been like, you're too crazy. You need to go. Or like something bad would have happened because I think like even episode one of season two, it's like, she's so fragile. And so like, I think that Misty thought with pointing out, you know, Jackie, you know, not doing the prayer thing and, and, you know, and, and kind of tying in with this whole like Lottie cloud, uh, uh, cult thing that she would have been able to have some more power than what she has. And, um, yeah, yeah. I think that everybody would have been a, a bit in trouble if, if, uh, Crystal hadn't come and swooped in with her sweet spirit. <laughs> I would believe that. All right, bringing up Lottie now. So we actually hear a couple of characters like flat out explain how they feel about what Lottie is up to, but not so much with Misty. So it was making me wonder, like, what do you think her answer to that would have been at the end of season one in terms of how she feels about Lottie and what she's starting to do? And then do you think that answer has evolved or changed at all at the start of season two? I think that Misty doesn't believe in any of it, but that is the first one to make it seem like she does. It reminds me of like, I used to be involved in this church back in the day. And it was like the people that, you know, had their eyes closed and their hands in the air. And it was like, the gospel was coming through them. And like, don't get me wrong. I, you know, everyone has their different stuff. And like, I think that's beautiful if that's a genuine feeling that going on. But I know for a lot of people, it was like, oh, that's what other people are doing. So I'm going to do that too. And oh, right. Oh, you feel it. Yeah, I feel it. And, you know, it's, it's a sense of belonging. And I think for Misty, it's like, she sees an opportunity. She sees power and she's like, all right, this is where I'm going to blither on in. Um, but I don't, I don't believe that she believes in this like earthy wilderness stuff. I think Samantha believes in it more than Misty does. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't, I don't think that she really believes in it. I think she just sees it as an opportunity to hopefully manipulate in the future. I, I would definitely believe that, uh, that mentality about it from her. All right. Yeah. So this is, this is the time where I put up the spoiler warning for episode five of season two in particular. So I'm, I'm going to just blurt it out. I'm just going to start saying stuff. For, oh, for, okay, okay, okay. When it was, when it was teased to me that I, before this interview, I should watch up to episode five. I'm like, but I don't have time to watch all that. Right. Then I watched it. And I'm like, Oh shit. I get why you told me to do that now. So my first question, why do you think Misty even wanted to tell anybody about what she did to the emergency transmitter? Is it a matter of like bolstering that specific friendship with by sharing more secrets, or is it a situation where, you know, Misty does genuinely feel bad about what she did and how to like get that off her chest? I almost feel like she feels proud of what she did. Like when she reveals this secret, like she's nervous and she is scared, but there's almost this like, like you, like literally like Crystal, when Crystal says, do you know how lucky we are? You know, like, I think that Misty is taking that in as like, okay, like, well, I did this, you know what I mean? And, and there is this excitement about it and there is a nervous energy about it. Um, but I truly think she was expecting Crystal to go, Bestie, like, thank you. Like you did this, like you did this, you made this happen. And every time that we filmed that scene and I would see Nuha's face drop, 
my heart would drop. And like, I felt like every time we would do it, I felt just as hopeful as Misty was. And every time I saw that reaction, it like broke my heart. Oh, that um, answer is so Misty. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. A specific, a very specific line there. So Misty tells Crystal, I guess I should say Crystal slash Kristen at this point. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll fucking kill you. But do you think she actually means it? Had she kind of not stepped off the cliff, would Misty actually have, have felt the need to kill her? So I don't think so. I think she's just grasping at like straws and is like, I, you know, I'm, I, and then I think she's really hurt that like Crystal would, Crystal Kristen would even say like the poison thing because it's like all these people are blaming Misty. And of course she did poison everybody. But for her, it's like, like this is her first friend, her best friend, her like everything at this point. And then for her to turn on her is just like, it's like all the people who've ever made fun of Misty, it comes flooding through. But I don't think that she would have killed her. I do think she would have hurt her. I do think she would have hurt Crystal Kristen. And I think, you know, in fact, I think she could have like even like tied her up out there, but I don't think she would have killed her at that moment. Okay, so that leads us into one of the last shots of that sequence. Misty's Misty's reaction to her her falling off the edge and seeing the body. Just tell me everything about shooting that particular reaction shot because it keeps going back to like what you've been bringing up this entire episode where calibrating Misty's reactions and how she processes everything is so incredibly important to being able to track that character. Yeah, yeah. I It honestly came <laughs> this is going to sound messed up so naturally um because I formed such a big, beautiful relationship with Newha. She literally was just sleeping on the couch. If you saw my apartment right now, she just went, Kevin and Alexa are staying with me too. Like they're helping her move over there. They're coming back here. I'm setting up clothes in my room that I'm like, I think would fit her well. And I'm like, I want Newha to have, like she is, I'm going to cry. I get so emotional talking about her um, because she's been such like a gift to me this season. Season one was really hard to film and season two was so much better and easier because Newha was there and I formed such a deep friendship with her and such a loving friendship with her that like knowing that that day was coming was really emotional and really hard. Um, and so like, I'd have to push away my like Samantha brain because I'm like, okay, it's Misty brain. It's Misty brain. But I'm like, but Misty loves her too, you know? And there are moments that like, I obviously would be handling it very differently than Misty. Um, but like, even when I watched it, I watched it yesterday for the first time and I had my hand over my mouth. Like, I can't even believe this. And I'm so curious on what the audience is going to think. I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if people laugh during it because I feel like it's just so like, <laughs> like, of course she like, what? Like, you know, she ends up in her, like her own feces. Like, it's just like, oh my God. Um, but for me, it's heartbreaking. It hurts going down there and performing CPR on this body and um, having the blood come up was just awful. And I actually did throw up. Um, it wasn't because of the body, but because I got like a fake piece of snow lodged in the back of my throat. So I had to like run over. I like threw up. I ate like four pickles that day and all the pickles got thrown up. Um, and it was just a mess. And then um, 
I, I added the line, I'm sorry, bestie. Um, because I, I just, I just said it, like, I just said it because, you know, they're like, okay, just like hold that beat for a while. And the storm's happening and I'm looking down at the body and it's like, she realizes that the snow is going to start covering things up. And I think she realizes that like, okay, if I tell people that, I think she's starting to realize the story that she's going to say, but before she can like fully commit to it, she has to say her goodbye. And, um, yeah, it's a big sequence. Now I have a question for you. What were your thoughts on it when you saw it? (laughs) So I literally watched that episode. It must've been like five o'clock in the morning. I'm in Austin for South by Southwest had just gotten back (laughs) from my midnight movie. And I like, I was literally laying in this room by myself. And when it happened, I'm like, holy shit, (laughs) like loud, like the person next door probably heard me. And I'm not just saying this because we're talking right now, but like literally every step, every like subtlety in your performance that happens after is just so incredibly spot on and really well reflects why Misty is one of my favorite characters, because those kinds of complexities keep me engaged. And somehow you keep me on my toes, but manage to justify all of her wild decisions. And it's not easy to do that. I can't even tell you how much that means. It means so much. You just never know how it's going to come across or, you know, I mean, I'm still that actor that watches it. And I'm like, was that good? Like, did anybody like that? You know what I mean? And so I just, I really, really appreciate your words. Thank you. I mean it. I mean it. All right. I have to leave you soon, but I'll end with this one. This is another theory type question. I don't even know how much you've actually thought about this, but let's say the plane never crashed. What do you think the the future would have held for Misty and what kind of, you know, path in life would she have gone down? It's a really good question. Um, that's a really good question. I honestly have never fully thought about it. I think that this was kind of like a dream scenario for her. Like this was kind of like her, her dream world. Um, I think, okay, I'm going to come up with it now. Uh, plane never crashed. Misty becomes, so Misty, you know, graduates from the from the school with very little to no friends maybe she would have met crystal Kristen. they would have bonded a friendship out you know and in the real world um and i think that she even though it was the worst of days for her i feel like she would have continued being a coach on the soccer team and just been like the yellow jackets number one fan throughout life Honestly, you're probably right. PE coach or stayed the, yeah, stayed the soccer coach and taught, um, maybe taught uh, in like lab. I can definitely picture it. I think you've probably nailed that path going forward without the crash. I could talk to you about this show for forever. We get to talk again next week and I'm very excited. I'm obsessed with Yellow Jackets. I meant what I said. You're exceptional in the show. Congratulations on season two. You're killing me. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 